So looking back a bit as we have been on this journey through the book of Exodus, we will remember that when Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh, they said to him these words that God gave them to, to speak to um, Pharaoh about it. He said, they said to him in, in Exodus 5, chapter 1, it says the following, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That's what God told them to say to Pharaoh. Let my people go for a purpose. And we've spoken about this a lot. But in, in Exodus 5 is 1, it says, let them go so that they can come and have a feast. Where? In the wilderness. The last place that you would expect to go and have in a, wilderness, a feast is the wilderness. So, so the idea of removing them from Egypt was that they may serve God in the wilderness. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about life in the wilderness. Life in the wilderness. Because God sees value in every place and season He takes us into. And, and I want to share with you that there's usefulness in being in the wilderness. Now I'm not going to ask how many of you are finding yourself in a wilderness at the moment. But it is real that, that there is this challenge for us. That we think that a wilderness is just the worst place ever. But God leads His people into the wilderness to teach them something, to show them so much about Himself. And so, when you go into a wilderness, never despise it. When you are in one, don't fight it. Don't reject it. And don't, oh, let me just get out of this mess. No, no, there's something. If you got into it yourself, and you know the reason for being in a mess, then you've got to repent and get out of it. But if you're in a season of being in a wilderness, don't fight it. And so, I want to I talk about that a little bit and... Um, and I trust that it will stir our hearts. So the first thing I want to say about being in the wilderness is um, that a wilderness seems to be part of God's plan for us. Nobody will say amen. Because it's not one of those statements that everybody, yeah, amen. I love that statement. Yeah, God has a plan for us. And it's a wilderness. How many of you love wilderness moments? If you look at that picture up there, I mean, wilderness, desert, same thing. All right? And so what... What we looked at, what we look at, how many of you have been into a desert like that ever in your life? Anyone? No one? Yeah, you've been. And it's not called Mashona Land, hey? <laughs> no, 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 it's not. It's, it's, it's real out there. When you, when you travel into a desert like that and there's just nothing in sight but just sand and maybe a tree or whatever, but it's just, it's just really horrific and you feel like, oh, I've got to get out of this mess quickly. But God has something in mind for us. So when you read in uh, Exodus chapter 16 and verse 1, it says, they set out from Elam. Say with me, Elam. Now, what does Elam look like? Do you know? How many knows the same thing about Elam in the Bible? Just go back one verse, would you? 15 verse 27. It talks about Elam. Look at what Elam looks like. Are you going to smile when you look at Elam? It's amazing. It says, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Sounds brilliant. Huh? How many of you want to be in Elam? How many of you want to stay there? Huh? How many of you want to leave there? No, no, I don't want to leave. But look at what happens. They set out from Elam, chapter 16, verse 1. It's like, what a... What a crazy moment. It's like, we're fine here, God. 
Why would they set out? Because as we've read before, God led them. How did he lead them? Pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. So whenever the Israelites moved, you've got to know that it was God moving them. So when they set out from Elam, it was God saying, let's move. They're like, ah, is that a cloud? No, I don't think it's a cloud. Kind of like, no, no, no. Let's not. No, I rebuke that cloud. Go away. Go away. <laughs> Isn't it? We're like, no, God, this is fine here. I don't want to move. God said it's time to move. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness. They set out from Elam. Hey, lovely place. Twelve springs of water. <laughs> Seventy palm trees. Beautiful place. Now we go into the wilderness. God's plan for them. He moves them. And it says the wilderness of sin. Now it's not called the wilderness of sin because it relates to sin. In that context, it's just a name. Right? It's just a place. So it's not, oh, you're going to the wilderness of sin, so we're going to now sin. No, no. Sin is not a place, by the way. Did you know that? Sin is not a place. It's an action. It's an, it's an attitude. It's a mindset. So when you come to a building like this, that doesn't mean that sin leaves you. You can sit here and think of stuff that you shouldn't be thinking of. So sin is what is in our hearts. It's not in a place. Oh, you shouldn't go into that place because that's a place of sin. Well, Jesus went to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the sinners. And did he ever sin? No, he didn't. So I'm not saying just be, you know, um, crazy and go to any place. But I'm just saying that the presence of God is bigger and stronger in us than the presence of the enemy and sin outside. So don't go around and fear sin. But anyway, this is not a place of sin. It's just a name. So it's a place which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, which is about 30 days now having, from having departed Egypt. And, and the whole congregation... Um, of the people, oh, we're going to get to that just now. But here we find that, that God moves them. And God actually had said to Pharaoh, I'm going to move my people into the wilderness so that they will have a feast for me. So you've got to understand that when God moves us into places that seem to be dry and very lifeless and hopeless, that he is there with us. And it's him guiding us into those places. So don't despise them. The second thing about a wilderness is that it often reveals the worst of us and the best of God. <laughs> you ever seen that? A wilderness does that. It reveals the worst of you and me, but the best of God. So you and I need to actually go through these wilderness moments to see the truth myself. And see how rotten I sometimes I am. And realize that, boy, oh boy, I am, see, I'm bad. And we find these examples, and, and I'm not going to be able to go through them, but we see that every time that they go into this wilderness moment, um, into a place that's not comfortable, like we would have found in chapter 15, verse 23 to 24, when they get, got to the place called Mara. Say with me, Mara. Mara means bitter. It's a bitter place. <laughs> Salty water. They grumbled. What did God do in response? He gave them sweet water. So we see in Admara, the worst of us, we complain, we grumble. Ugh, just come out. God has been so faithful, but I get to Mara. First thing I find is salty water. God, this is not good. Where are you? 
God comes through, the best of God, he turns the water into sweetness. We see in verses 2 of chapter 16 where we started off, it says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, say with me, whole. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone included, eh? So the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Where? In the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Hunger. Oh, the worst of people coming out in the worst of places. Hey? The interesting thing here also is that the whole congregation said this. Maybe there were some people that said, no, it's not so bad. But they got swept along. Now we're coming into a place where everybody's complaining. The few that may have thought differently are swept along. along. And if others are grumbling, don't you follow them. Here it seems like Everybody just got swept along in this current of grumbling. And the worst came out. It's easy just to go with the flow, ladies and gentlemen. But rather difficult to stand against it. Amazing thing also here is that they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They didn't realize that they're actually grumbling against God. But they came to their leaders and... I don't know what grumbling sounds like. <laughs> you know... I can just it's not a pleasant sound, isn't it? It's like when you hear somebody coming to grumble at you or with you or to you. It's like, oh. Or when you grumble, you make a sound to others that, that, that upset them. That's just not encouraging. You can imagine Moses and Aaron. They had to face people grumbling against them. I think also murmuring and grumbling is often as a result of the culture that we find ourselves in. The community or the context. And so please, if you're in a context and you're the cause for it, repent. For a grumbling mindset around you. But if you are in a context and amongst people that are grumbling and you just kind of go with it, rather get out. Don't, don't, don't judge them. Don't fight them. But just get out. Don't, don't join in in all the grumbling. Yeah, the whole congregation is all upset. And you know that you've got to have the discernment in your heart to say, God, I'm involved in a place where I actually am just being taken along with grumbling. It's like, get off that social group then. That WhatsApp group that just only sends negative stuff. Get off it. Come on. Don't be swept along. So here we find them grumbling and God's response again. The worst of them, noticed, God's best comes through. He provides food for them for every day for 40 years long. And you'll see how that happens. You, maybe you know the story already. Then there's another moment where they grumbled in 17 verses 1 to 4 where there was no water. And, and again, they just had this miracle of God saying, I'm going to provide morning. I'll be meat in the morning. There'll be bread in the evening. And, um, and then when they get to a place and there's no water, they grumble again. The worst of mankind coming out, the best of God. He says, okay, I'll strike the rock through Moses and I'll give you water. I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen, in a wilderness, we are constantly exposed to the worst of ourselves and the best of God. When you see the worst of yourself, repent. Say, God, yeah, I'm sorry. When you notice the best of God, won't you be thankful? 
and let that build your faith that when you go across and there's another challenging moment, that you'll be reminded of the best of God that has just happened. That's why I asked you, how many of you have experienced the faithfulness of God recently? The best of God has come through in your lives. Won't you stop forgetting about it? And that's what I need to also do. It's like, God, I so easily forget your best. That when I get into a, a bad situation, the worst of me comes out, not the best of you. A reminder of how good you are. The third thing about wildernesses is that they, they help us know God better. See what happens here. In Exodus 16, it's such a beautiful portion. I'd love for you to take time to read through that. And by the way, we, we, we want to help one another as we journey in life. And that's why we send you what we call Relive Sunday. On a Tuesday, we send you the notes from this preach and give you some homework for you to go to your system. Because this morning, some of you are falling asleep. Some of you have fallen asleep and just woken up when I said that. Uh -huh. <laughs> Some of you may fall asleep still. The point is, we give you meat here, and I trust that it will be. But you forget, and it goes like, they, they say statistically, 5% of what you share is, is received. So we wanted to help you to go and sit and work this stuff through later in the week. All right? For your own good. We don't check up on you. If you're not on the broadcast list to receive the material on a Tuesday, please go to the Info Hub and say, please add me to the list. I want to receive the information because I want to grow with God. All right? That was just a quick ad. Do, 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 do. Coming. We're on to verse 6. And it says here, Moses and Aaron said to all the people, at evening you shall know. The point we're trying to make here is that in the wilderness, we get to know our God better. So don't despise the wilderness. Don't walk away from it if you're in one. It says the following. Moses said to the people, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. You're going to see something about God and of who God is as you go through this wilderness moment day by day because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what we are, for what are we, he says, that you grumble against us. And it goes on later, it says in verse 9, Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. God wants to draw his people closer to him. And then it says, The glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And then it says in the later part of verse 11, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the midst of this wilderness moment, God is not just feeding them. He's saying, I want you to be fed, but I want you to know me. I want you to walk come closer to me. And so again, if, when we go through, it's not if, by the way. This is not an if. <laughs> it's a when. When we go through wilderness moments, you may not be in one now. But when you go through one, you've got to know it's an opportunity for you to get to know God better. Like there's something about God's incredible opportunist mindset that he says, I want you to know me better. And we read in Deuteronomy in, in chapter 8, and I want to just read this to you because later on, when they're about to, to exit the, the, the wilderness, this is what God said to them through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. And it says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. So now looking back. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. 
whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So God's speaking to his people right at the end of these 40 years. We now in Exodus, the beginning of the 40 years. And he said at the end, listen, what I did to you is actually that you will not just have food to eat, but that you will have this truth from my heart to live from. And Tim Keller puts it very nicely. An author in, in the States leads a big church. He says, in the wilderness times, it is a time to turn truth into bread or food. In a wilderness time, you need to go and dig up the truth from God's scripture and turn it into nourishment for your soul. And just as much as we in a wilderness like the Israelites were looking for the manna from heaven, like, oh, we're going to eat. God says, you've got to go look for truth from the word to turn that truth into food that will nourish you. So every word of truth that we need and that comes from the mouth of the Lord is found in the Word. It's there. You don't have to wake up in the morning like, oh, where's the manna now? I'm waiting, I'm waiting. God says it's there. The Word of God, the truth has been given to us. And if you are feeling malnourished spiritually, nobody else is to blame. With all due respect to, but you. Because you're not taking the truth and turning it into food. For your spirit. It's available. You have to chew it. You have to taste it. You have to digest it. You have to work it into your system. It's there. And that's how we get to know God better. Even in this wilderness moment. The fourth thing is that wilderness has the evidence of God's provision. And this is the beautiful testimony of what happened here. I mean, I don't know how it must have worked for them because... From, for 40 years, they had the same diet, but they had God's provision. And, and I don't know, maybe God supernaturally did it for them. Um, they had multiple different recipe or, 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 yeah, recipes, what they could do with this, and options, and turning quails into something special, or whatever. But God, in the midst of this incredibly difficult time... He gave them exactly what they needed. And you know the story. If you haven't, you'll find it here in Exodus 16. And it's all the way from verse 12 to 21. Where God said to them, I'll give you something in the morning that'll be bread for you. And I'll give you quails in the evening that'll be your meat. And then you know that it speaks about the bread. speaks of actually eventually the, the true bread of life that'll come. His name, Jesus. But this is what he did. He provided miraculously for them. And there's nothing that can ever tell us that in the midst of a wilderness moment, God is not there. And God's provision is not available. So I want to encourage you, just as what the Israelites, even in their grumbling, God gave them. How much more will God give us when we beseech Him, when we cry out to Him, just in dependent and saying, not grumbling, but praying and trusting and believing. His provision will be enough. His provision will be enough. We're going to, from not this stage, but from one big, 
well, not big stage. We're not going to build a big stage in our facility. We're going to from a different stage along Old Gwanda Road. In a couple of months from now, we're going to say, the Lord has provided. The Lord has provided. And we want to speak that over you as a family as well and individuals. That the biggest aim for us is not to build a structure over there. But our, what we want to see God do is build character into our lives. A building is not our aim. That's why we have it over there. I don't want to have it up here. Because Christ is our focus. He is what we are pursuing. Those are secondary things. But primary, it's Him. And what God wants to build into your life does not need to be paid for. It's already been paid for. You don't need $4.50 to see things change in your heart. What you need is to take the Word of God and let it sink into your life and let it change you from within. Because that is your food. That is your food. Not Sadza and Yama, first of all. But the Word of God is our food. And so what God did, He, he, he made this incredible promise to them that I'll feed you for 40 years he did and he still did because when they went to the promised land they went into this luscious place where there was so much to see and so much to eat but this is a sad thing so God says to them six days I will give you bread in the morning quails in the evening meat in the evening and on the sixth day you're going to collect double so that you don't have to work on the Sabbath but what people did they thought gee I'm going to just make sure and they did it with this in mind. Just in case. Just in case God doesn't do what he said he will do. So what they did, they gathered twice as much, or they gathered too much, and it will rotten, and it will stink. Because God said, no, every day will provide for himself. Don't you now go and gather on the third day for the fourth day. Because the fourth day there will be provision. But what people said, just in case God doesn't come through on day two or day three or whatever in the week, I will have enough for day four. But when the fourth day comes, that stuff was rotten and it stank. And God said to you, did you not trust me? And maybe some of the stuff that you have around your house is stinking. Because you're doing it just in case God doesn't come through. I've got to go look and say, Ooh, what is in my life that actually stinks? Because it's stuff that I'm keeping for the day that when, according to my mind, God may not come through for me. Anyways, it was just an incredible thing that we see that God provided for them every day. And they need not do anything else but what God told them to do. So let we not worry about tomorrow, but let tomorrow worry about itself. God says today, Jesus taught us this beautiful prayer. He says, pray for today's bread. God, thank you for today's bread. The wilderness, point number five, comes with clear instructions from God. So it's interesting that they find themselves in this wilderness, but God still gives them guidelines, guidelines of how to live. We see that actually before the law was instituted at Mount Sinai, we find here that God refers to Sabbath. And he says to them, six days, You'll be in the wilderness, you will gather, but on the seventh day you will not be, because I want you to rest. The point is not just to do nothing. When he created man, and he created the whole world, as a matter of fact, he instituted this principle of resting. And there's a need for us as humans to rest. 
By the way, on Tuesday night, it's a, an opportunity for you to come aside and just rest in the presence of God. Come and pray. Come and just soak in. Come and just receive. Come and read. Come and just be with God's people. And I think that this is one thing that is hugely under attack. Because we're so busy, we think we can never stop. We have to work. We have to keep on working hard. Because if we don't, what then? Actually, we put most of our faith in, in our own effort and saying, well, if I don't work on the seventh day, are we able to manage? God says to them in the wilderness that rest is important. And even though, you know, you're in this wilderness, I still want you to understand that you need to rest in me. And I find this so incredibly encouraging for me. Um, it says in verse 27 here, by the way, in chapter 16. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? God says, in the midst of the wilderness, don't abandon, don't justify your actions by saying, God, it's just a desperate time that we're in. And desperate times calls for def desperate measures, isn't it? Like, oh, we're going to now run around hectically and try to solve the problems. And yeah, I know that it's a time to rest, but I'm just too, too desperate to rest. Here we find the people too desperate to rest. God said, you will have enough. So they go out looking. And there's nothing. But they're not resting. So won't you and I, we, we believe, the Bible teaches us that it's good to rest. Because as we rest, we actually declare that we've put our faith in Him. We can have another day of working, 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 maybe have some more income. But actually what we're saying is, God, keep on working. Because as we stop from work, we actually stop to consider how desperate we need Him in our lives. And so, I don't know, I'm not big on Sunday's got to be your Sabbath, but for most of us, it is a moment where we can stop. I work on a Sunday, so I take Mondays off. Uh, we try not to do phone calls, we don't try not to see people, we just rest. And we try to be committed to that, because I realize that there's so much that I can do on a Monday. And Samina's is very good to help me to say, no, don't, 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 just rest. Because in resting... I'm saying, God, I need you. And I don't know when is your day of rest or a time of rest or a 24-hour period to rest. But divide it into halves and a half a day here or half a day there. I don't know, but the principle is what counts, is that we need to rest. So even in the wilderness, God said, I'm not abandoning what is important for you. You're going to make time to rest. Don't go look for food now because you got it already from yesterday. But rest. So it comes with clear instructions from the Lord. Sabbath, therefore, is a declaration of trust. It's not a law we keep. We do not, as some brothers in some circles believe, that Sabbath saves them. We are not saved by keeping the Sabbath or a day of rest. Our salvation comes through Christ. Resting is very helpful. We rest because we are saved and have been saved. And we declare our trust in our king by resting on a particular day. And, and again, in this church, we do not say that it's got to be that day. But we believe in the principle.
Okay? So if you're not in any way adjusting your life and having that rhythm in place, I implore you to bring that into a system in your life. We say, I'm going to make sure that I rest regularly. And I'm going to teach my kids the importance of rest. Lastly, wilderness serves to inspire future generations. We see here that as they instituted this, God said to them in verse 31, 16, chapter. Now the house of Israel called its name manna, the stuff that they received. It's like coriander seed, white, and, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is what the Lord commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And this is what they did. They, they really did that. And what an omer is really is a biblical measurement. It's kind of like uh, 1.6 kgs almost in weight of manna, put it in a jar, and keep it. How it was kept and whether they did that every day, I don't know. But the principle is mostly important here. That God said, I want future generations to see, and to when you see that thing in the tabernacle, that jar of manna, that they will be reminded of what God did back in the desert for His people. And so what God instituted here is saying, when I'm doing this miracle in your midst, I'm not just doing it for you, but I have others in mind. So maybe our Omer will be what we are busy seeing God releasing through people into our, our project to purchase this project. From now, if the world is still where we are, the people will look back and they say, I remember my grandfather told me this story. That in 2022, we're now in 2052 or whatever. I remember these people. They were not too many. But they did this thing. And here is a proof of what they did. And God was faithful to them to establish what you and I have today. So God did this incredible thing in the wilderness and he said, what I'm doing in the wilderness is not just to keep you alive so that you can survive. I want to do something so that one day people will look back and say, this is how capable and how faithful our God is. So God wants us to live with a testimony today that will build confidence into future generations. And not just as a church, but as an individuals. You are young. Many of you are still young. You're going to have omers. I'm saying, this is what God's doing in my life at the moment. And I want to continue to talk about it so that future generations, young people, younger ones, will talk about God's faithfulness during my time here on earth. So may we carry literally jars <laughs> filled with God's faithfulness. Write the stories down. I don't know. Keep, keep record of what God is doing in your lives. Don't despise the simple things that you're going through today in the wilderness. But keep them, record them, so that future generations may benefit. So I want to say we're not only able to survive in the desert, but we're able to be fruitful in the desert and come out with something. And I want to close with Psalm 84, which is such a beautiful reflection or illustration of 
what we can, because of God, accomplish in the desert. A beautiful psalm. It's written, and you can go read it at your own time, but it really talks about this deep longing from the psalmist in verse 2 that says, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. And then he says this in verse 5, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now Zion is a particular um, illustration of God's presence. And says, My, blessed are those whose hearts are young, longing for, for you and for your presence. Those kind of people, he says in verse 6, listen to this. As they go through the valley of Bakar, which really means a valley of weeping or a dry place. Or in our context this morning, a wilderness. Alright? You don't find too much rejoicing in the desert. But God says, I'm pulling my people out of Egypt so that they can have a feast in the wilderness. Here it says in Psalm Ali, this weeping place, this dry place, they, listen to what it says, they make it a, spring, a place of springs. They, the people that are going through it, they changing the situation around them. They making it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pool. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Beautiful. God's saying, if, in, if you go through the valley of Baca, if you trust me, you can turn that place into a valley of spring. It's amazing. So there's something that God has invested in the wilderness. His presence in you can change your circumstances. And you say, I'm not going to succumb to this valley of weeping or this dryness around me. I'm going to let this life of God in me change the surroundings. And I understand that we go through times of, of grieving and of sorrow and of deep, deep turmoil inside of us. And that tears come out because it's not easy. But we do not camp there. We do not let that moment start to define us. And we say, God, thank you that even though it is tough and it's difficult where I am at the moment, I thank you that your presence will help me to not let this be a place where I encamp. But I change the value. And so I'm not saying that weeping is wrong. I'm just saying that we need to cry out to God, depend on Him, wait on Him, and trust Him. And as we read this, possibly our weeping, our value of weeping can be turned into springs. So I want to close and just say to you, God never takes us into any wilderness or desert to starve us, but to show us that we do not live by bread alone, but that true life is in Him, is in Christ. The irony is that even when the spies saw the milk and honey outside of this wilderness, they couldn't even trust God, that that would be enough. And so for us, it's, I, the, the answer is not in the next country or not in the next place. The answer for us is in trusting God, trusting Him. So there is much life in any wilderness for the people of God. And so this last picture where it just illustrates this desert in front of you. There may be some of you this morning that are saying, yeah, I, 
I am in such a place at the moment in my life. And maybe Miles, could you join me up on the keyboard, please? Well, up on the stage, I'm not going to be on the keyboard. You're going to be on your own at the keyboard, eh? You don't want me there with you. I want to just say to you, I don't know why because of just where you've gone through emotionally, financially, relationally. I don't know if it's dry because just spiritually you've just not been able to connect with God. I don't know if it's dry because what people have done to you, against you. I don't know if it's dry because you've never tasted of the goodness of God. I don't know. But maybe you are in a wilderness today, this morning. And God wants to just speak into your heart and say, listen, He's not called you into such a place to starve and to kill you. But He's brought you into such a place because it's part of His plan. And He wants to reveal Himself to you. He wants to not show you the worst of yourself, but He wants to show you the best of Himself. He wants to let you know that there are people that will walk with you and that can carry you and, and help you and support you. That's what He wants to do. God wants to provide for us. He wants to sell you, say, say to you also that what you're going through is going to benefit others. So hold on. Hold tightly. And don't give up. And so I want to ask that we will just take some time, close our eyes, and let God just minister to you right now. Would you? Let God's presence in this place something that you stop and experience at this moment maybe you are in some wilderness at the moment maybe it's just God I, all I see is just the sand this endless display of problems of issues of concerns and I have no idea how I'm going to manage in the midst of this. Maybe this morning God is speaking to you that He's saying your wilderness will not overcome you. You can, as you go through the valley of Bakar, you can, because of God's presence in you, turn it into a valley of springs. Because He's with you. He's so faithful. We sang about His faithfulness. And so I want to pray a prayer that you want to just express to the Lord this morning and saying, God, I'm, I'm in a wilderness and it's not a bad thing. The wilderness is not the issue. It is our attitude as we go through it that is key. So if you're finding yourself in whatever form of wilderness or desert today and you want us to pray with you, won't you just stand? We'd love to stand with you and walk with you through whatever form of wilderness you may be in at the moment. So won't you stand? This is not to embarrass anyone. We're just a family. Saying, God, we, we need each other. We need you. We need to be real about where we are in life. We don't want to ignore where we are and what we're going through. We want to be just honest and say, God, we're desperate for you. We're desperate for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. There's many people standing. It's great. And it's not about, we're going to ask you why you're standing. We just want to say, first of all, that God sees you. 
God knew about your desert experience that you are in way before you stood. And God knows the answer. First of all, the answer is Him and what we've spoken about in any wilderness. It's not a complete place of no life. There is life. You can even go into deserts and you can go find life there. But Father, this morning as your people stand, I thank you that you know exactly the reason for them standing. You know what particular wilderness they may find themselves in today. So Holy Spirit, I, I thank you that we can pray over them. Just this absolute awareness and conviction that God, you are with us. Even in the mountaintops, the valleys below, in the deserts that are vastly spread out. And the things that we spoke about this morning will be so real in the hearts of these friends. Lord, Holy Spirit, that you will impart to them the truth about your incredible commitment to us in the midst of every wilderness moment. That they will not feel abandoned, Lord God, and not feel isolated, but that they will know your love and your kindness towards them. Lord, even as they read through Exodus 16, that they will feel encouraged from it and say, but there is life. There is life in this wilderness. And I pray, Father, that you will encourage them and stir their hearts and inspire them and, and speak into their hearts, Lord, and say, I've not let go of you, and I will never let go of you either. I pray, Father, for hope, for faith, for encouragement, just a determination to say, with my God, I will keep on walking, even though it is at wilderness that I'm in. I will not let go of his hand. Father, I pray for that. Pray this upon your precious people. Lord, as we all continue to walk with you into this week, I thank you for your hand upon our lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, for your hand upon every individual, family, and upon this church. May we, Lord God, experience life. Trust you for it. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.